Hello and welcome to another episode of Stories from the Crisper Drawer. This is Season 2, Episode 16, Capcom Coca-Cola. We are recording this Wednesday, December 11th, 2019. We're almost done for the year and almost done for the decade. Guess I should look back through the decade and talk about a few things. Maybe drop a couple of old, like, random episodes from the past using various other technologies that I have saved from my old website, from the old Draws Consortium podcasts and stuff like that. Just throw them out there. I think that'd be funny. Anyway, today, Capcom Coca-Cola. Why do we go with Capcom Coca-Cola? And Coca-Cola's a trademark name, as is Capcom. Well, because yesterday, completely surprising me, at least, like, the idea of, like, the trailer, not the idea the game was coming, but the trailer of Resident Evil 3's remake, which comes out early 2019, 2020, I mean. Uh... Is like, who who saw this coming? I didn't see it coming. It's crazy. It's it's, you know, it's being released April third, next year. Now, granted, they would have probably made the engine for it in uh, when they're making uh, remaking Resident Evil two. Uh, some of the environments are definitely going to be shared. Some of them aren't. So I don't think there'd be too much like total creation, but it looks just beautiful. I really can't wait to play it. So, hey man, we've got Cyberpunk next year. We've got Resident Evil 3 next year. Like, geez, the early part of the year already looks good. We've got a few other good games coming out for sure. Um, and some old games from this year that I've yet to get around to, like Luigi's Mansion 3. So, you know, uh, I mean, Homeworld's supposed to come. Homeworld 3 might drop next year. Highly doubt it, but might be. Um, maybe we'll get the res. Maybe we'll get Command & Conquer remaster of the original in Red Alert next year. That would be great. Um, yeah. It'll be cool to get those things. But man, like, Capcom's really slamming it out of the park. We had Resident Evil 7, like, okay. We had Resident Evil 6, and then, um, and then what was, uh, what was in between? They had a few little games in between Resident Evil 5 and Resident Evil 7 that were like, uh, okay, and 6. Um, I mean, we had Revelations and Revelations 2, which actually were more going back to the original game, which weren't bad. Um, but 6 was kind of like, meh. I played it. I, I enjoyed it. But I understand from people who wanted more of the survival horror, it wasn't that great. And it was a little too action-y and was designed for co-op and a few other things that weren't super amazing about it. It was fun. I'm not going to say it wasn't fun, but I can see the criticisms of it not being... What it uh, what it felt like it should have been the three storylines and how they intersected and how things happened it just felt a little over the top and you know I can agree to that it wasn't super great I mean it felt like oh man they need to make money off of everything and then they go away for a while and then we get Resident Evil Seven which is like what who who figured out how to make this game who did this. What sorcery in Capcom has come out of, like, where has this team been hidden for the last two years, a uh, few years? Why have, why is this team, why did this team not make Resident Evil 5 or make Resident Evil 6? Where was this team? And then we get, like, and then we get Resident Evil 2's remake, total remake, and we're like, wow, um, that's great because there was never a remastering of Resident Evil 2. Can we get a Resident Evil 3? Like, you guys are really doing insanely well, and you're actually putting realistic sales expectations on it. 
and we're be- and they're be- you're beating those expectations because you know that it's Resident Evil has both a historic fandom and also some survival horror guys like it and various other groups. But it's not a huge moving game. But you're putting your expectations within a, r- a reality, not like oh we're gonna move ten million units with Resident Evil Six, which it didn't even get close to moving. So we're gonna put Resident Evil Two and Resident Evil Three and Resident Evil Sevens. Uh, sales matrix is relatively conservative. Like, you know, this is how we usually score with these games, so let's go a little bit below that, because they are expensive, people may not buy them in the first month or two, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it, it, they seem to be doing pretty well after they've adjusted their expectations to the niche market that Resident Evil sits in. And I hope that Cyberpunk doesn't suffer from that too much, that they actually, they accurately predict where they think it's going to go, and it goes pretty well. That's just my hope of it. Um, But man, that was a shock. The only way I found out was watching Jim Sterling's review on it, uh, reaction to it. I was like, wow, um, this looks amazing. Can't wait to play it. But don't pre-order it. <laughs> Gonna sit back and watch. I have no doubt it's going to be good. I just, like, I'm not... If if you see any pre-orders, and then all of a sudden you get pre-order deals, stuff like that. It's like, uh That's where Capcom kind of loses me. They make good games, but they kind of lose it on that sense. They seem to have been cleaning up their act, at least in these games. That, like, they're, they're non, uh, you know, fighting games. Like, they're not Street Fighter series, and they're not Marvel vs. Capcom series. They seem to be doing really well on, like, Res- the Resident Evil series they've done great on recently. And, um, are we going to get another Dead Rising? I haven't played four. I've only played a bit of three, so got to get back into that. <sighs> so, you know, it's probably going to be a good time. Can't wait for it. The Nemesis is back, and boy, did they they really showed off some fun uh, fun screens and the videos and Carlos Oliveira and Mikhail and Nikolai and Jill. Jill is like that's the most radical uh, change I think was going from what she was in the original Resident Evil Three to now what looks like a realistic set of clothes that a police officer slash special operations uh, person would actually wear in that situation. Seems like yeah, this is what she probably should have worn that like tube top and that little tiny skirt that she wore in three is like why she knows she's fighting zombies why wouldn't she want to have a more mobile thing i don't know looks like they saw like capcom's guys are like yeah maybe we were sitting too much on the sex appeal and now we're just gonna be realistic (laughs) like what would people actually want to wear in this occasion if they knew it was coming which she obviously did so yeah, early, like April 3rd. Fuck. That's awesome. That is awesome. Like, is it me or is like the, uh, what games are coming out in April 2020? Let's see, games releases for April 2020. Uh, oh, Cyberpunk is coming out of that same. Ooh, that's not good. I mean, they don't have a lot of cr- crossover because Cyberpunk is a full, jeez, it's it's a f- almost a full week back. So that's not too bad. Um, it's almost two weeks back, actually. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, yeah, let's see what the year is bringing. Uh, the Yakuza series, which I have yet to get into, which are apparently pretty good. 
Let's see what else. Uh, that's in that's in January. Uh, Zombie Army Four for is in February. We'll see how that goes. Uh, Darksiders Genesis that might be interesting. The first part of Resident Evil 7's remake is supposed to be coming out. Not the full one, but some of that. Oh, March, we also got Doom Eternal on the 20th. That's cool. That's cool. The Savage Planet. Oh, interesting. In March. Of course, April starting with Resident Evil. Um, May, we've got The Avengers, which... Uh, is that Square Unix making that? Uh, who's making The Avengers? I think it is Square, Square Unix. That's not going to be too bad of a game, I think. Uh, Wasteland 3 as well. Um, and the last was Part 2. So that's all we've got. Halo Infinite. Destroy All Humans is coming back. Oh, that's interesting. Um, Halo Infinite's going to be coming out uh, right around the time of the new, um, the new uh, Project Scarlet when that releases. And that's the thing. Next next holiday season, we the PlayStation Five and Project Scarlet are going to be coming out. Now I'm hoping that um, we get a few months, uh, if not a year or two, of crossover relaxation. Because being I have an Xbox One X and a PlayStation Four Pro, I don't want to buy the immediate versions. I want to see what their next generation. So I'll probably if I'm going to buy one of them. I'm probably going to wait till the second year to see who's really doing well, what versions are coming out. Hopefully there's some special editions or special upgrade ones, or if they are, they're coming up the next year. Um, we still haven't heard anything about uh, about the new, um, what's it called? Um, about Nintendo Switch, if they're getting an Elite uh, console, if Nintendo Switch is getting another tier of, like, are we going to see a third Nintendo Switch version? Because we have the Switch Lite, are we going to see a Switch Pro? Because I, I, I don't know. I don't know if we'll see a Nintendo Switch Pro. It would be nice to see one, um, but apparently there are reports of it. There's like leaked information on it. Pretty much what we. Um, so we haven't heard anything. We know that um, Nintendo of America CEO Bowser has walked back the report of the Nintendo Switch Pro. It would be nice to see one, but I also understand, like, they just released the light, and the benefits of the light are the new battery, and where the new version of the new Switch, the regular Switch, also has that better battery. That feels like a good enough, um, a good enough event. What would be nice is if they could set up a, um, a trade-in event or something like that where you could send your battery in, or, like, a cheap, Hey, not cheap, but like reasonably priced mail-in or service centers around North America or around the world, where you could send your switch in to get the old battery taken out and the new battery put back in. It'd be nice to see that. Um, just just to buy some more time. I myself don't really mind the length of the Nintendo Switch battery. Uh, most of the time, when I have used it long distances via airplanes, I've usually had access to a USB-C charge, the USB charger, or at least a plug that I can plug. Uh, a Nintendo Switch gray charger or a USB charger that would that will give up enough power to charge the Nintendo Switch effectively. So I haven't had that issue, but I understand that that could be, depending on how future plane designs go and stuff like that. We'll see. But I think that uh, Nintendo should see should work on getting a even better battery system in the Switch. Um, 
It might even just be firmware that they could fix up. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, let's go talk. So I got myself a OnePlus 7T, uh, as I hinted at the last episode in episode 15. And I'm just going to do a quick little review so far. So I've only been, I've been using it for about five days. So I started really using it on Saturday. So, you know, not that long. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. This is Wednesday. So this is the fifth day I've actually used it. Um, I started playing around with it on Friday, but I didn't, I was moving stuff around. Credit to OnePlus 6 and Google's uh, backup system. Also, that's, Apple definitely has a very much the same capability with their iOS, so the ability to transfer data, like the apps that I have installed, worked pretty good. Kind of annoying that one of my favorite uh, browser apps turned out. Um, he, uh, let me say this is a complaint about Google. To me, now that I know this, I'm kind of mad. I'm disappointed in Google about this. I wouldn't say mad, just disappointed. So they took a developer completely off the Google Play Store and delisted all their apps, but they didn't really send, like, they didn't contact or send a message, like, hey, this app you're using was made by this developer that has a slightly shady history. This app doesn't seem to have any evidence of it being involved, but we are not supporting it anymore. To down, to, to use it, you need to sideload it. It's no longer the app store. Hey, here's, here's what you'd like to know. I think that'd be nice, just informing your customers, like, hey, this app isn't that great, or blah, blah, blah. Instead of just delisting, it's like, oh, that's the app that lets me choose my um, my ringtones because the regular way to find them with the phone application, that can be fixable. I've read there's a better application that allows that. But the standard one's like, oh, here's every single freaking sound file on your phone. And it's com it's just randomly set there. It's not set up as like, oh, newest to the last. There's no sorting option for it, which is annoying. There should be a sorting option or a search function. Like, here's the song I want to use. Is this ringtone? Nope, can't do that. That seems, but that seems to be, that's a Google app. That's Google's design. So hopefully they fix that. Because in the OnePlus 6, it wasn't that much of a problem. That was the older version of Android. Um, new version of Android, very good. Um, very good feelings so far. Um, very snappy. The, um... <laughs> To a degree, almost too snappy, like too quick for my uh, liking in some cases. This thing just runs like amazingly well, Al almost too well. And that's not a criticism of the device. That's a criticism of me being slow and used to slower devices. And, I mean, my OnePlus 6 is not slow, but you know how amazing things have come along in a very short period of time. Uh, very fast charging um, from its warp charger, like charge to full in like 25 minutes from like 30% full or something like that it's an amazing speed since I usually have my phone plugged in overnight it's not really that big of a deal to me but I can understand if I forgot like oh while I'm getting ready in the morning my phone could get mostly charged up if I effed up and left it on like open uh, antenna seems to work well uh, audio is quite good I do like how the uh, speaker at the bottom and the speaker at the top work together to make a good stereo effect, especially since it's a considerably larger speaker uh, for the earpiece than the old OnePlus 6. So that's nice. The notch is pretty small. So, I mean, I guess they're annoying. I don't seem to mind them too much, but I do get that people don't really like them. I don't mind. It's more of like, it's a thing. 
it exists. Could it be better if it didn't exist? Yeah, but you've got too many people who like the idea of selfies, me not being one of them. It's like, okay, I, I'd rather not have the camera. But if you're going to put a camera, like either do how the Pro did it with the uh, retractable system, which is cool, but I understand that's another part that can break. That's another part system that can break that's going to require repairs and another ingress point for water. So technically blocking it the way they've done, just this little notch that's very unobtrusive and very not annoying. Like, okay, fine. Like, we, we're never going to go back to a non selfie camera world for phones. Um, Actually, I shouldn't say we never will, because we could. It's just what event causes that to change. I don't know. Or will it be that uh, they'll we'll start seeing like micro displays on the back, like the Galaxy Fold and stuff like that, which is uh, Galaxy Fold is two thousand five hundred ninety nine dollars Canadian plus tax. But you know, underneath the camera, there'd be a smaller screen on this side that would just have like just designed for being taken for selfies. That's one way around it. But I also understand that considering that's a smaller screen and it probably isn't as high resolution, it may not be as good or may not be as bright, or it's another battery hog or power hog or all this stuff. So leave it to the engineers to figure out what they're going to do. I'm not a big fan of the selfie camera, the front-facing camera. I'd rather just not take selfies in general. But there are times when they do make sense, and I begrudgingly allow that. Uh, 128 gigs of storage on it. Um, it's the same as the OnePlus 6. Uh, Android 10 does take a little bit larger of the space, so let's uh, let's go down here and see my storage. So as of right now, according to... So the system takes up 26 gigs. I've got 19 gigs of music and audio and various other stuff. And then the apps take up about 10 gigs. Um, other apps. And then we've got uh, video, stuff like that. So... Yeah, mostly audio files. Um, I've got about a gig of music. I mean, of photos uh, and images. So, you know, it, it's is it perfect? No. Really, your usual space is closer to hundred gigs, but okay, half full already on mine. But I haven't put most of my music on. And besides from downloading meme pictures and the occasional manual. I don't, like, the size is more than enough for me. If I have to scrap some things out, fine. Like, the music I usually listen to is only about, uh, you know, 15 gigabytes, and I I have 41 in total of my entire collection of music is 41 gigs, and the vast majority of it's only 10 gigs I listen to at any point in time. So, you know, there's things that could be done to clean that up. And I could go in and I might have, like, Zip drive, zip folders as well in the music folders that I could delete, and I just haven't gone and do that. So that's on me. Uh, as far as I can tell, no pocket mode, which was in the OnePlus 6. Um, pocket mode was a mixed bag. So sometimes you'd love it, but other times, based on how you're holding it, it would block the front-facing camera enough to think it's in the pocket and then turn off. Happened to my mother, who also has a OnePlus 6, and didn't really happen to me that much, but I did notice it when it did. Uh, timber glass screen protector, which is an extra feature, um, comes with this basic plastic guide that gets it near perfect, um, which is a little bit easier than how it was on the OnePlus 6, which the OnePlus 6 was. Use the uh, protector, the phone protector that came with the phone. Uh, that doesn't really, I mean, it works, but it doesn't 
put the edges on as well. Like it, the foam protector really only protects the sides. It doesn't come forward to really shape the where the uh, tempered glass should go. So I have it on. Learned my lesson from my OnePlus 6. Uh, I've yet to send my OnePlus 6 back in for repairs and then potentially sell that. So we'll see how that's going to go. Yeah. But very easy to use. The installation's great. Uh, no headphone jack, so you're a Dodongoville with USB-C. Now, since USB-C and Thunderbolt 3 are the same port, I can see that in the future we're going to have a lot of options on this. And it's... <laughs> It's the sign of a times. So you can't, you can't really get around it. Maybe one day it'll come back, but headphone jacks—they seem to be gone. Three point five mils are just are the thing of the past. We're still going to see them around, like they're still going to exist in the audio world, as is though the eighth, the you know, the one quarter inch jack and the XLR. They're going to be around for a while, and then we've got speak on and power on and all those other other um, connectors that are in the audio-visual space for production, stuff like that. And I have no doubt that desktop computers will still keep the 3.5 for uh, their speaker systems and surround sounds. So it's not like we're getting rid of that jack. We're just getting rid of it on phones. And unfortunately, we might start seeing them disappear on tablets and other larger carrier devices that don't really need to lose them. So, kind of annoying. Kind of annoying. What would be interesting to see is, um, and I suspect it should work, is having the uh, the USB dongle to headphone jack, the USB-C to 3.5, 5 mil jack. Um, will that accept like those uh, Belkin or Anchor? I don't think Anchor ever made them, but Belkin did. Um, those one into six, so one you plug uh, one headphone jack in, you get six out or whatever, those star things. Things are splitters. I hope those work. Really, a powered thing would work better, so I hope somebody's coming out with a device that powers it, that draws a little more power from the uh, system to do it. And no expandable storage, but it does come with a very nicely designed, very well thought out um, um, SIM card holder where you put a SIM card on each side. Instead of having a long tray, which is what the uh, OnePlus 6 had, which was actually very nice, you now have a, a piece that you open up that you get both. Now, I can see there's a positive and negative of that. A, it takes up very little space. But the negative of that is, is that if you pull it out, they're, now they're supposed to snap in, but if, let's say you're trading them out and the snap uh, feature, the plastic, gets a little uh, loose, you could drop your SIM card. Now, if that's your primary one that you put at the bottom, that's a freaking annoying. So... Slight wear and tear feature, it depends on how often you're doing it. You may be doing it only once. You may do it five times. Who knows? You may do it like every trip you're buying a new SIM card. So that's uh, up to the individual to figure out. It's good. But yeah, no expandable SD storage, which kind of sucks. You can you could with the um, with the USB-C to regular USB that hopefully was pow- would draw enough power from the phone, you could use external drives or... External USB, uh, you know, you know, pen drives and stuff like that. Um, thumb drives, I guess, is the best way. You could use those. Those would be great. Um, I understand why OnePlus does not have expendable memory. And a few companies have kind of gotten away from it. HTC still has it. Samsung, as far as I know, still has it. Um, it would be nice to see that come back, or at least... Um, 
maybe if OnePlus would support it as a thing where people could open it up without voiding the warranty and put them in, like put a slot behind the screen that you could slide them in, you'd have to take the screen off or at least dismantle the case, dismantle the case, but it wouldn't be considered like a warranty voiding thing. It would be really like, here, you do this, and then you just slide it in, and there's expanded storage. would be cool. But it is how it is. So now on to... Let's just quickly talk about the NFL. Um, are the Patriots going to figure out their offense, or are they going to have trouble in the playoffs? Who knows? We can really only wait and see on that. I've been playing a bit of Minecraft lately and getting back into Stardew Valley. Both are very fun. Um, Minecraft just is enjoyable. Both as a like relaxing but also as a productive productivity game. Stardew Valley, uh, same thing. Both rela- they they're relaxing in a way, but you still have an urgency about them. But they are very relaxed. And I viewed um, that's about it for those games. Uh, played some. Well, actually, finished Halo Five Guardians and finished um. What was the other uh, Gears of War Five? Gears of War Five felt like a proper middle game from the Gears of War Four and th- uh, and following up Gears of War Three. It felt good. It felt like really good. Like we have, we know where this is going. We understand it. We'll have to see what um, event in the final chapter is considered canon for that choice. If they decide to do it, or if it's an imported save that changes some of the games, we'll see. They can only plan for so much. The coalition can only plan for so much. But it'll be nice to see when Gears Six, if it comes. Like hopefully it is coming. When does it come? What's it going to be? Because 5 was actually fun. It was very fun. More more fun than I thought it would be. And then uh, Halo 5, however, it was a fun game. If It was hard to get back into. Because I played 4, I played all the other Halos. Um, Reach is now part, and ODST <laughs> are now on the Master Chief Collection, which are on PC, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But um, it didn't, like, Halo 5... Just, I don't know, the story for um, Master Chief just didn't feel as good as the um, as Fireteam Osiris's story was. And, I don't know, it just, it. I mean, I'll, we'll have to wait till Halo Infinite comes out, but it just, it didn't feel great. It didn't fit in, like, Halo 4 ended the story. Cortana died in Halo 4, and Chief was retiring, and then Halo 5, everybody's back at it. Now, we got to see the Arbiter again in um, in Halo 5. And so, obviously, the Covenant are now in major retreat, but all this other stuff that's going on, I mean, I don't know what to think about it. I don't know if I really like where they're going with it. It's still a fun game. Like, I'm not going to say it's not a fun game, but it just doesn't feel like the flushed-out prototype it should have been. Or the, not prototype, the flushed-out game story that should have been. Like Fireteam Osiris, they had a story. They got we got to see more of the Halo universe through them than we got to see through Master Chief, which is really disappointing in a way. Maybe it should have been a side story. Guardian should have only centered around Osiris, and they should have put more missions on it. Not had this change out of every mission is a different team going or blah blah blah. It felt like there was just so much better that they could have done. 
it felt like they were trying to get the Halo fans, who were fans of Master Chief, but also the fans of the universe, and basically give them two separate stories to make them both happy. And to get a richer universe, and it just felt like they um, sort of did. It felt like a, I felt like a good effort, but it wasn't polished for it. Just my, just my feeling of it. And um, the Halo Chief Master Collect, the Halo Master Chief Collection, which includes um, Halo One, Two, Three, Three, the Two and uh, One are remastered, uh, ODST and and Reach. All came out on PC and Steam, which has apparently gone over very well, which is more evidence that exclusivity really does screw people. And it kind of screwed Microsoft. Now, I get the idea that Halo is a flagship game of the Xbox. It gets people to buy the Xbox. And having a good install base for the Xbox means that you can fund other game projects and convince other companies that it's worth them making money for your device. Economics of that makes sense. What I don't like is how long they waited to get these games all the way over to PC. They should have been making them sooner. Now, the remaster of 2 and 3 should have... 2 and 1 should have been released on PC like very shortly after they came out on Xbox One. Should have just happened. Like, should have been the same freaking day. Because then everyone would have been happy. Heck, Halo 3 should have come out on PC within the year of it being released on the original Xbox 360. Because guys were trying to emulate Xbox 360 games on PC. Some work, some don't. It's like, just get them out there. And I can't blame them again for them wanting to sell more games on their Xboxes and have a better install base. What I can't say is, eh. Like, you missed out on a lot of sales. Now, you're getting them now because you finally have come around. It took you a while. Should have been here soon. But also, credit to Microsoft for at least doing this. At least doing this. They're playing nice with Nintendo. They're playing nice with PC gamers. They're trying to play nice with Sony. Like, for once, like, it's a weird time where we don't want the console wars. We want the console confederation, or not confederation, but, like, unity. Like, all these guys coming together. They, They each have their talents, and they work on them. Like, Sony and Microsoft are really only competing against each other, directly. Like, sure, the Switch is competing against them, but it's a different sort of game market. There's not as many first-class, uh, third-title little uh, AAA games that are going to come out on the Switch. You're not going to see Black Ops uh, 4 come out on the Switch. You're not going to see the Call of, current Call of Duty game on the Nintendo Switch. But that gives the Nintendo Switch a whole different market zone. Sony and the Xbox and the Sony PlayStation directly compete with each other. They both get exclusives to fuck with each other, and it doesn't really help the play base, because now it means if I want to play all those games, I have to own all three of those systems. I do, but I don't have a lot of money to throw around, so now I'm picking and choosing, and time, I'm picking and choosing. What am I going to put my money and time on? I have yet to play Death Stranding yet. I think I might buy that. I want to try it, but at the same time, it's coming out in... A few months for PC. So what's the point? I mean, credit to at least the PC one isn't that far delayed. Now, what's the point? Like, get these games out there. Get them doing well. And, you know, if they're not selling great on your home console, maybe put them on a marketplace of people you don't have. There's a chance that 
that uh, somebody who owns a PC doesn't own an Xbox or a PlayStation or even a Switch. Their PC is their gaming rig. That's all they have. And if you're playing, ex- you're playing exclusivity with the Sony, either like your games are exclusive on Sony for a certain amount of time or permanently exclusive on Sony, and you're, or the same for Xbox and the same, I mean, I'm, I'm going to call him playing also a little bit about Nintendo here too. Get them on everything. Or at least release them to PC. Do you have to release them the same day? No, you don't have to. It's kind of dickish to not. Maybe you can clean it up and, re- and release it a month or two later. Or you can do what Rockstar is and take it like a fucking year. And then release a horribly optimized version. Like Red Dead Redemption 2. But, shit, I don't know. But you, know you want to increase your buyer base? Your customer base? I don't know. Just, in my perspective, I'd want to sell to more people than possible. But I'd want to give them, not like, I wouldn't want to sell them trash to everybody. I'd want to sell a good product to everybody. I want the customers to be happy that they spent $90 buying my game. On their system of choice. Just, Just my thought. My thought. So let's go into now. Um, uh, you know, it's looking like it's going to be a quiet Christmas here. There's not too much going on in my life. Got a uh, hanging out with a buddy next weekend, and not next weekend. Uh, next week, in fact, we're going out and hanging out for a little while, and then uh, otherwise it's a quiet, quiet Christmas in my ear neck of the woods. Can't really complain about that. Got some uh, project plans to get done. Um, I am getting a dog in the new year, so uh, he will be he's a golden doodle that will be apricot colored, and his name is Trigger, and when he gets here, he will have a seat at the table. I'm thinking of getting him his own little set of <laughs> headphones as a joke, and a little, like, his own little fake microphone or something like that, just to make him look cute. Cute and make him part of the project. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, don't want to spend a lot of money yet. Have the ability to do that, but... Don't have the money on me. I can physically do the thing, but do I? Can I afford it? It's a whole different thing. We'll see how that goes around. And then, um, I have seen some reviews of the Black Magic's new ATEM Mini, their um, their production video switcher. Now, when I was first looking at this, originally going all the way back, Roland had this video switcher that had multi-view support for four HDMI channels. It didn't really have a great connection into PC, so you still needed a capture card to capture from that to a PC. It was really meant more as a live switcher for an already controlled event. And you still need, and yeah, you need a capture card to do it. Like you, it only support USB 2 to PC. Um, I think it had an ethernet jack for remote con- connection. And from what I heard, it ran at 40, the fans created a 43 decibel whine on it. Okay, so a little annoying, not super annoying for me. I can deal with that. I'm willing to take the risk on it, but it's also 1.4 thousand Canadian dollars. So I was kind of like, I don't know if I want to spend that kind of money on this to get a video segment of my podcast going. I would appreciate it, but I don't really know if I want to do that yet. Now, it did have picture-in-picture, which meant, hey, I can run two things in here. But then Blackmagic came out with their system, at least their mini mini, uh, ATEM. Which, four HDMI's, a USB-C slash USB-3 out to uh, PC, a preview out, or just a regular send out for the 
for the HDMI, so you can have a screen going out on it. Now you could do that on the um, on the Roland one, but then you'd have to put a capture card in between that and your PC and where it was going to actually see everything. Now the benefit about the Roland one is that multi-view, you could see all four um, screens on a multi-view screen unit to, to see what you're going into preview. So if you're switching cameras, you knew what you were looking at. So, which would make sense for a mobile feed system. Or you could pay $1,000 and get OnePlus's um, rack-mounted unit that did a similar thing. That actually had more inputs. So probably for the price point, Blackmagic's better. But it's a larger unit for rack-mounting, and it's not this handheld small guy. I think it's probably quieter, but it's also a larger, heftier device. Not ideal for people who are moving around. And if people want a control surface, that's also not... You have to plug that into a computer to control it. Now, the mini AT, ATEM, you're definitely going to be plugging into a computer, or at least you're most likely going to be plugging into a computer anyway. It's got limited functionality. It does not have multi-preview. It does have the ability to preview, though, one out. Uh, one way out. So that seems not too bad. Um, it does sync all the connections, so whatever uh, your first connection is... Let's say it's 1080p 60. All the other ones will try to sync as closely to that as possible, and it will do that. So it takes out a lot of work. It also um, it acts as a capture card with four inputs so that you can switch between them all actively. Um, you can do picture-in-picture picture on it versus... So it will leave some of the ro load from OBS and various other devices, and it thinks it's a... Um, when you plug it in through USB-C 3.0 to a USB-A or a usb Three or a Thunderbolt port to the PC, it thinks it's a webcam, so it does really do like some good stuff. So I've been watching these projects, and the more I'm thinking about it, the more it's like, okay, this thing's three hundred ninety Canadian dollars, two hundred ninety-nine American dollars. So still a little pricey, but that's literally a th that's literally a third less, if not a fourth less. Um, it's almost a, yeah, it's almost a fourth less than, uh, like, you know, it's almost one quarter of, um, of what the Roland one was. Screw a third less and stuff like that. It's the vast majority. It's about two thirds less of the cost for this guy than the, uh, Roland one would cost, including taxes. So that, and it seems to have more integration functionality, which is cool. Now I'm not dealing with video cameras that are moving and shots that aren't, pre-set up so <coughs> excuse me for that point of view the ATEM mini makes sense the cameras are going to be fixed we might only use two cameras and we might use three then we have our game system that will be taking in one spot and it might be picture in picture that and that's what's getting traded is the picture in picture is the one that changes so we might only have three cameras we might have two we might only have one and we might only just want to do picture in picture or or at that point, we could literally just do two capture cards into a PC to do it that way. Up to um, my options to what I'm going to do and what I'm going to play around with. But at the cost, it makes sense now. The more I look at it, the more I, I read the reviews. I'm like, I was hesitant after hearing about the multi-view thing. That kind of annoyed me. But then I thought, I'm not running a live show where, where I need to, where the camera angles are changing all the time. They're going to be fixed, and we're going to set them up ahead of the stream or ahead of the recording, and then pretty much like play around with them only after and figure out where the best places for these cameras to go to get the shots that we want. 
So by that point of view, it's worth it. So I will be getting one of those soon. Um, but now it's just... It seems like a great idea. I wish... Um, so there is a way to preview. You can only preview one camera at a time. So the one you're stuck on, or one source that you're sending out, you can sort of preview the other three, but you have to click on them like, I want to preview this before I put it up. I want to preview this before I put it up. I want to preview this. And you need an external monitor on that um, preview HDMI out. Just fine. That can be done. But if you do want to see preview out, you do have to step up to a 900, pretty much a thousand Canadian dollars for the Blackmagic board, or you need to go even more for their um, TV Pro ones, which are about two to three thousand dollars. So you are looking at a steeper price cost for that benefit. You get a lot more, granted. Yeah, I think that's that's about where where I'll, I'm at with it. I'll get one in the new year, and that'll be the official start of season three when I start doing that. I gotta figure out if I gonna stream to like Facebook, am I gonna stream to YouTube, am I gonna stream to Twitch? I gotta figure out where I'm gonna put my uh, where I wanna put my streams and where I wanna keep them. I don't feel like YouTube is the place to go. I understand Facebook may not be super happy with some of the stuff, um, so I'm trying to figure out like what is the alternative, like. I just have to read the terms, the servicing conditions, evolve them, and figure out, like, okay, where am I going to fit on this? Like, is Facebook better because of integration with the audience? Or is YouTube better? Um, although I feel like YouTube... Like, I'm not looking at this like the streams are not going to be money makers, And if they are, well, that's amazing. But I doubt they will be. So because of that, I'm not really concerned about revenue streaming from this. We'll see how I'm going to figure that out again at the start of season three. You know, it's just, you got to learn what you got to learn and you got to figure out where you're going. So, I guess that's about it. Like, you know, we'll end the episode here. That's the end of, uh, you know, see, not really too much else to talk about. See you next weekend and we'll definitely get a few more episodes in um, before before the end of the year, and we'll have a look back either on 2019 or in the full decade, the 2010s decade. What was worth mentioning? I One of those is going to be that Minecraft came out, and the, the game is still going. But otherwise, um, have yourself a good, good week, good weekend, and we'll see you next time. From Stories of the Crisper Drawer, this was Capcom Coca-Cola, well, Season 2, Episode 16. See you next time. Bye.